is this Lost, the show where we watch Lost and ask ourselves, what the fuck did that bird just say? I'm BT, I've seen the show twice, and I fucking hate it. Now I'm on the fence about it. I'm joined by Kathy. Hey, this is Kathy. I've seen the show a lot. I've got some uh, behind-the-scenes trivia, and we'll be as ardently defending it as I can. And by Adam. Until the recording of this podcast, I'd only seen the final episode. On this podcast, we talk about a TV show. Which TV show is that, you might ask? It's called Lost. It was a TV show that was on at one point in the past. You may have seen it. It was on. It was on. This definitely was a television show. We're going to talk about it in sequential order. Uh, No spoilers for future episodes, except for at the very end of this, Adam heard a rumor. We have to clear the air for him. So at the end, if you don't want to hear any spoilers, turn it off. And we'll give you a cue, but I'm just telling you now so you don't like get confused and flustered when we say spoiler territory approaching. Uh, on today's episode, we are talking about season one finale, which is Exodus part one, two, and three. When you watched it, you may have seen it as part one and two, but Kathy's going to give us the details. All right. So we are watching Exodus part one, two, and three. All three parts were written by Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse and directed by Jack Bender. Part 1 aired May 18th, 2005. Parts 2 and 3 aired May 25th, 2005. In Part 1, Jin, Michael, Sawyer, and Walt ready the raft for sailing. In flashbacks, we see the survivors' final moments before they boarded the plane. In Part 2, the castaways on the raft run into unexpected trouble. Meanwhile, the remaining islanders attempt to blow open a hatch. Flashbacks continue to show the survivors' final moments before boarding their fateful flight. In part three, in the, fin- in the thrilling finale to the first season, a visitor to the encampment could be a threat to Claire's infant son. Guys, I, I have a fear. Okay. I'm not sure. If, if there's lots more episodes like this, I'm not sure I like the show. Because this, I did not like these three episodes. I thought they were tawdry and boring. And when... The, if this is the best of the mysteries that they have to offer, like they've done so so good with with so many of the plot threads before, but then when they try to do all the characters in one episode, it's like they and there's too much time. They lost track of the stakes in one place or the other. So I don't know whether this is going to be a persistent problem with finales and season openers, but we'll see. I'm concerned. Okay. I will say that we did learn a great deal. So the the Presumably, the growling and stuff that occurred was uh, this, like, monster that might be a security system for the island. It's got, like, oozy slash smoky tentacles that it can grab with, uh, which I don't know how that makes any sense, but whatever. They also kind of saw, like, an apparition float through the air that seemed to be separate from the monster. It also seems to be in some way weak to fire. Possible Locke has seen it before, and that was the thing that he like looked at in that one episode. The that's the monster we learned about that. We learned what the Black Rock is. The Black Rock is a old ass boat, an old slave ship that is like several miles inland. Uh, that contains in its hull, uh, in addition to chains of uh, skeletons of slaves, uh, 
dynamite, which is what they're uh, we're going to use to tr- open up the hatch or try to open up the hatch. Yeah, we also know that the hatch is now open. Do we know anything else about the hatch? No, no, because gotta let the mystery sustain itself. For gotta let the mystery be. Yeah. However, however much longer, I can't wait till season three when they actually go into the hatch. <laughs> I'm so mad right now. Yeah, so uh, the we learn that the raft works for the most part, and they find someone. Maybe they shouldn't have, but yeah, they almost didn't, and uh, they could have not fired off the flare, presumably, and never run into them, which was you know their original thought. Also, Walt gets taken. They do this fake out where they think that you're they're after the boy, and you think that means uh, Claire's child, but in fact, it means the special Walt. Hmm. And uh, that, how did they know that he was special? Why did they want him? Those are questions we'll have for later. The guys that gr- that grabbed him seemed very much of Rousseau's ilk, because we also get a vision that Claire has of Rousseau grabbing her. So we don't know what the deal with that is either. It could be that maybe she rescued Claire. That's presumably possible. They seem to be kind of on the edge of whether they want to judge Rousseau for their for her actions and whether or not she's truly evil. Mm-hmm. So they they kill, still want to keep you on the on the on the edge there. Uh, we also learn Jack is no longer married. In connection to that, we learned that Michelle Rodriguez was in the tail of the plane. Yes. So she's not going to be a cast member next season or anything. <laughs> that classic Michelle Rodriguez one-off. Yeah, just, uh, oh, yeah, it's, it's me, Michelle Rodriguez. I'm here. All right, bye. Had she done anything of note prior? To- she Yeah, she around this time, she was in a lot of stuff. This is like, like SWAT. Yeah, SWAT she was in. She'd already done her, like, big breakthrough where she was, like, a lady fighter in a lady fighter movie. And I actually really liked her playing against type here a little bit. She doesn't, she wasn't just a, you I'm know, tough. tough girl. She had more depth to her. And uh, it made me wonder if maybe they're misusing her in every movie they're putting her in. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so uh, we don't have to discuss it. The answer is yes. Manages to uh, ring out charm from even Jack Shepard. Yeah, there's like somehow chemistry there, but yeah. I think it's solely on her just like introducing it and him just being like. They're allowed to have chemistry because it was before anything happened on the island, before there's any of this baggage where, mm. you know, Jack's God or trying to be God and, oh God, the stuff with the dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> It's very interesting that there are three main plots through these three episodes. Getting the dynamite to blow up the hatch, chasing the baby and getting ready for the others to come, and the raft. Two of those plots were literally introduced at the very beginning of the episode, which is probably why it seems a little bit tedious. And I think you're right that they did not need that much time. And they will maybe not learn from that lesson. They squander a lot of their time. Uh, It was driving me crazy how much time they spent on the dynamite thing and just how much of it was just like about who's going to carry the dynamite being gentle with the dynamite put who's going to like putting them in the bags and all this stuff it's like that was just one one episode was just them talking about who's going to carry the the fucking dynamite like and it was executed poorly on every level so uh, from a story-wise perspective they kill ours with the dynamite to try to give stakes to the dynamite hey this is dangerous they they could die at no point after that do I ever feel that they're in any danger. Yeah. 
at all. Because they lost their red shirt. Yeah, so he's already dead. So you either could have had him not come with him with them, or you could have had him with them, and then they keep going. He's carrying the dynamite, and then at some time later, it explodes. Unsurprisingly, the best moments in the episodes are the character moments, not the plot moments. And this is a fight that they've an internal fight that's been happening throughout this season that will continue for the rest of the show and it to this point still divides fans of what is more important the characters and their connections to each other or the plot and the mystery and there are definitely camps about this in the lost fandom and i think it's definitely the former for me it's these characters that they spend a lot of time building are the way more interesting and uh more emotionally attached parts of the show. So there's three main gripes that I had. The one was the whole dynamite thing that just was awful. Two, I sort of felt that it was a just just a really big middle finger to you to be like, okay, they're finally getting the bunker and nothing. But the third one is that they tried to do these character moments and they tried to mix themes into it and they had so much time to do it and still failed. So the uh, Sun and Jin, who are consistently the easiest place to get dramatic tension from, they didn't even do their plot line very well. You didn't like that? It didn't work for you? It worked for me when those two characters talked to each other. When they're separated, it no longer works. So they try to show, okay, well, the evil Kia Motors guy has sent like random guy to the airport to be like, hey, uh, you are going to run away from us. Make sure you do this thing first or was it make sure you do this thing first or don't run away i think don't run away i read it as don't run away but i can't remember exactly because i don't think he's super clear about it he's like you're gonna do you're gonna deliver the watch uh and he's like okay but what follows like do they care if he runs away i think he said something like you don't have her if you don't follow through this you'll lose her like basically you can't run away because when you run away son's not gonna be a part of your life anymore and so they make this moment of him giving Michael the watch, which should be a really well-executed scene because the watch is supposed to have all this baggage to it that's supposed to represent, like, I'm letting go of the life that I had before. I might be letting go of sun, unclear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just seems like, oh, I'm handing you this watch. So that's how I felt about it. Yeah, I think Michael's response to it was also kind of linked to that because his response is like, okay, thanks. Like, you nearly killed me over this and now you're giving it to me. Like, what is this to you that you're like, like, it doesn't have any emotional meaning to Michael. It was just a watch that he thought he found that he got beat up over. And then uh, with Sun later, she... Uh, to this point, it was doing a great job grounding Jack, and you can tell that she's this really grounded, realist person, but when she's talking to Claire, you see none of that, and she says what I think to be directly the theme of the three episodes, are we being punished, question mark. So, uh, and that even didn't work for me, because I was like, okay, well, that's the theme, and then I tried to think more about it, and I don't think that they did a good job connecting all of that stuff to it. They just had to have a character say that. I think if you had another character say it, one that had been a little more involved in the island mystery plots, like... Rousseau. Rousseau, or Kate, even, or, fuck, even Charlie. 
people that have actually been along with these storylines. It just seems kind of out of left field to have Sun say it. Yeah, because another thing is with Sun and Jin's relationship, we haven't really seen many transgressions on her part. She is not communicating well, which is a two-way street for sure, but she's kept a secret about uh, speaking English. But the way that she talks about like being punished for all of our lies and deceits and things, it doesn't really, for me, hold up the weight of uh, another character's backstory, like Jin like, physically injuring people or uh, Sawyer murdering people. Oh, and they brought back in, uh, I, fr- I didn't realize that Kate, so at the, in the bank robbery? Mm-hmm. So she murdered that guy? No. That's what the... No, she didn't shoot him in the head. She shot him in like the leg or something okay. just to stop him from interfering with her plan. Okay, because when she said in the truth or dare thing that, hey, I've killed someone, I thought she was referring to her doctor friend yeah. that she that died. And I think a, she was. It was kind of an accident. And then uh, the guy who's been chasing her made it sound like, oh, no, she killed, the guy that she tricked into the bank robbery, she murdered him. I think that was just poor exposition. They had to have the Marshall exposition, all of her backstory. No, they didn't, but go on. Yeah, well, no, because it was basically their attempt to clean up her plot lines. It's just like, I'm sorry, we didn't mean for this to be like a whole bunch of mysteries. We're just bad at telling her story. She lost, she didn't have the plane anymore. Uh, the U.S. Marshal told her on a call that he had it in a safety deposit box, and that's why she went and did the bank robbery. And she shot up the place, or she at least shot the guy, but I don't think she killed him. Um, they, I think the one thing we learned from that is that she had been calling the marshal and trying to say that she was innocent. But I think up to that point, we didn't know how he was following her around. And he introduced, yeah, she's been calling me to try to tell me. And he thinks she's just taunting him with it. We know that she's probably being serious. Yes. But, you know, there are better ways to go about it. So, all right, let's talk about Rousseau. Uh, so she is a major character throughout these three episodes. She does a lot of stuff. She first, like, in the middle of badass, and it's not quite sure if you're insane. She sort of just strolls onto the island with a cryptic warning about black smoke and baby stealing. So then her arc is just really weird. It, what what pissed me off about her is that she is a really good interesting character in the Saeed episode where you could see, oh, she has complexity and depth. But in this, they turned her into two tropes. Grieving mother, which is so tired, and I'm over it. And then as well as just plot device, straight up. So I found that this was kind of a real big letdown that sh- uh, they start the episode with, hey, Rousseau's here. She's going to be here a big part of this episode. And then she's lame. I think the actress is phenomenal because I think she did a good job of selling a lot of the uh, internal trauma for me. It was a little bit uh, just to move the plot forward. Deus Ex Machina, if you will. Just uh, she shows up to instigate finale. We uh, get her iconic. uh, We have three options. Run, hide or die which is fine. 
Yeah, and then they put that again in the previously on. Yeah. They You're also, not allowed to forget it. Yeah, they also in the previously on show, like, the tripwire that Saeed was following, and that doesn't pay off until, I think, the third episode, where uh, she has a trap. Like, and that's it. Yeah, I, I think it was more just how he... How Saeed met Russo. I just... The gunpowder in the wound, I just wonder... Really? <laughs> you know? Really? Well, Charlie demands one of his uh, fancy little soldier tricks. And that's the one he's got. It seems like that easily could have killed him. <laughs> Which is blew up like arsed. <laughs> yeah, just blew up like arsed. But, you know, I, I never had any fear that it would. Yeah, it was just uh, cringy. Very cringe-inducing. We've got Walt, Michael, Jin, Sawyer. We get really nice moments with Sawyer and Jin in the first episode. Moments that worked for me with Sawyer uh, finally telling Jack about his dad and that his dad was proud of him and knew that he was a complete fuck up. And Jin and Son finally reconcile and speak to each other and actually open up and tell each other what they need to be saying to each other. That moment with Sawyer works. I will say that it's strange. I think it works because of Josh Holloway. I don't know if it works because of the writing. I don't know. They've done such a weird job with that character. Again, premeditated murderer. I'm going to keep, keep saying that. They have shown that he killed someone in cold blood. Him being heartwarming and stuff with Jack, it's clearly because he has daddy issues and they're starting to leave. Yeah, I... Appreciate the fact that Jack seems to get the closure with his dad that he couldn't get on his own because he tried to in one of his episodes where he was chasing his dad's ghost around the forest and that never came to fruition. But uh, Sawyer gives one of his poetic monologues that I think you're right works because Josh Holloway is a delight. They're trying to do an arc for Sawyer. But the low that he started from has not quite justified the upward swing that he's on. Yeah. yeah. Like the most heroic thing he's done on the show so far has been the uh, diving into the water to catch the, the rudder when it comes off. Which is also self-preservation. Yeah. And self-preservation also. So it's like, and I guess he like, you know, he pulls a gun when they're taking Walt, but like he doesn't get a shot because... Someone on the boat's a faster draw than he is. Classic Western. uh, Classic Western trope there. And uh, Michael even points out, are you really a hero or do you just have a death wish? And Sawyer says himself, I ain't no hero. (laughs) Reading uh, the messages out of the bottle. Yeah, and he has this whole conversation with Walt. And... I, uh, one thing I really, this, this season did show me is that I like Walt as a character a lot. He can, he has this way of penetrating, um, into character motivations that other characters don't, you know, cause he's a child from the mouth of babes. Yeah. And so he, him talking to Sawyer, you can sort of see like that he's villainous and that he won't open up to Walt, even though Walt is asking like very real, very easy to answer questions. That scene both did and did not work for me. It, it, it worked for me because I like those two people talking to each other. But again, I'm not sure that the writing is there. And, and Sawyer is such an inconsistent character. I have no idea what to think about it. It seemed a little exposition-y, just yeah. like in case you forgot my motivation. Uh, 
I've got a letter that makes me angry. <laughs> I've got my character motivation letter. That's the, that's that's all I've got. Does he have that with him right now? Unclear. Yeah. I think you'd have to, right? I mean, yeah. I guess where else would he leave it? Yeah, I guess it's right next to the gun in his uh, shirt or whatever. Yeah, that would be my guess as to where it was. Loaded up into one of the chambers. Yeah. And this this episode, so I want to move on to Michael and his his uh, arc through, throughout the whole season, really, has been he didn't want to be a dad. Now he's sort of becoming a good dad. And it takes work and you're not going to agree right away, especially with sort of a foster son, even though it's his biological son situation. And you have that gut-wrenching moment where he asks his mom to take Walt, and Walt's right there, and he definitely heard him. Yeah, the uh, Lostpedia and, like, IMDb production notes have some notes about that scene, where it's like, well, actually, Walt is playing a Game Boy Advance SP, and those last on rechargeable batteries, so that's an inconsistency. (laughs) Yeah, but it's like, I think they're missing the point, is like, Walt is making up an excuse for being there. Because you see him watching Michael make the phone call. He obviously is a curious child who went to see what his new dad was talking about, heard him try to pawn him off, and made an excuse for being there. I uh, do want to just draw attention to the final scene on the raft. I can't quite put my finger on how horrifying it was when I first watched it. I just knew watching that this time, having already seen it, knowing what's coming, knowing that they're going to take the boy and that that line, the actor MC Ganey, he's a treasure. Uh, you might know him from Con Air or uh, as Papa Poutine on this season of Riverdale. And he was just so menacing in that kind of lilting, we're going to have to take the boy. And uh, the... The soundtrack, I think, notes it very well with just those single notes. Yeah, because it had to transition from, like, the uplifting music, because they really wanted to trick you into it. It's just like, here it is. It's their salvation. And then he says that, and they're like, no, never mind. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Just this is... stomach twisting, waiting for that and watching it happen. Well, I definitely wrote down... Rescue boat watch. So, hey, do you think a rescue boat's coming? Uh, specifically, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That scene was good. I didn't understand the full nature of it. The twist was that they were looking for Walt and not uh, Aaron, as we found uh, out. Still his name turnip is. head. Yeah, turnip head. They weren't looking for him. What bothered me is that. I never once believed that they were going to get off the island. So me having that dramatic tension kind of ruined because, you know, I know that Sawyer's still on the show as it goes on. That it kind of made the scene worse. But I think if I were watching it when it like first came out, that might have been freaking awesome because the all the elements of a classic tragedy were there. And turning optimism into straight up just awfulness. And the thing that I'm most curious about is that they're at least 15 miles out and sea. And how are they going to get back to the island safely? Or are they going to get back to the island? Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the baby stealing Rousseau thing. First of all, I hated Charlie this episode. Yeah, Charlie was especially terrible. I like how Saeed points it out many times that you are a murderous 
hothead with no control of your temper, you are not getting a fucking gun. Until he does. Until he does. Until he does. Until he's like, well, I can't stop him, I don't think, from coming with me, so fuck it. And it is kind of surprising that he doesn't try to kill Russo as soon as he sees her. Yeah, like his track record. I guess because... Because she's holding turnip head. She's holding turnip head. He has some sense of paternal instincts around the baby because he has boundary issues. Because uh, he has taken, he has decided himself that he's the father figure for this child. Clara has not decided that. Whereas usually he is just focused on revenge and showing Rousseau who's the boss. He, as soon as turnip head was in the picture, was focused on getting the baby from her, getting the baby back to him, and then just spewing insults instead of bullets. So they had the the Mother Mary statues with the heroin in them, yeah. and they had him being directly tempted by them, yeah. as, and they, like, couldn't make it more religious if they tried. Like, they, they were really, really leading into it. You know, you know, David Limitoff was just salivating. Like, I like uh, the uh, slow pan in on Mary... And then slow pan in on Charlie, and then closer pan in on Mary, and then closer pan in on Charlie. In case you don't get it, <laughs> I like the only thing that's missing is that if it were instead of a statue of Mary, it was a statue of Jesus, and it's broken open, so it's just like this: the body of Christ. Eat this in remembrance of me, kind of thing. <laughs> Lindelof had- is kicking himself right now. Or if he had two people like talking over his shoulder, and one of them says, "Take it, no, don't take it." Yeah, unfortunately, Saeed can't play both of those roles. Oh, he can. Just one of one of them, he's just wearing the devil outfit, and the other one, he's just completely naked, because uh, that's how I imagine uh, the angel Saeed, just yeah. nude and wet. Oh, God, I love Saeed so much. Yeah, if they were, he's definitely one of the MVPs of the episode. Yeah. He uses his power of empathy very strongly at the very beginning to get Rousseau to say why she's here, and the very end to get Rousseau to give up the baby. And a little bit in the middle with Shannon. Let's talk about Shannon. I've noticed what bothers me about the, epi- about the character. She has two speeds. And it is mega bitch and fully distraught. And she only does one very well. And that's distraught. Mega bitch just never really works. Except as like, oh, that's funny. I think it's because she's not the kind of actress that should do that. Her face leads you to think that she'd be very good at playing a mean girl. But she doesn't do it where it's fun, so it, like, doesn't really, it, it always just seems cruel yeah. and harder to like her. I did like how, uh, I, I like how she does not change her demeanor at all to talk to a child. When Walt comes to give her Vincent, she's still just like, what are you doing? <laughs> I was gonna say, maybe it's, maybe she's just too convincing as a mean girl. She's just too mean, and so there's no likability there when she's doing the mean girl thing. So now they're like trying to give her this distraught thing to make her character more likable. And it's like, it's working because she's doing it more with more empathy. But uh, we still have just this piece of like mean girl in the back of her head. It's just like, yeah, and they kind of lead you in with uh, when she's trying to carry all the luggage. You think it's going to be a mean girl moment where she's just being high maintenance. Until he opens it and sees that it's Boone's and she just looks just desperate to not lose him. She does that. Like, that's a really nice moment. And when Saeed says, it's not going to be too much if I help you carry it, because he speaks in powerful metaphors, I guess. I I like Saeed and I I like him and Shannon together. But that 
the symbolism, it was too much. They needed to just calm the fuck down with having literal baggage that she needs to let go of and put onto someone else. I was so mad. <laughs> it's uh, it's a lot. Yeah. The- See, it worked for me, and I think it's. It's because you like Lindelof's excess. I do. I'm a sucker for it. And I also, I, it, I think it's the performances that sold me. Yes. Because they are both just so good in that scene. Shannon keeps just absolutely showing me that that act, she can really fucking act. And it's a real shame that she doesn't get a chance. Because when she's vulnerable, you feel it. Mm-hmm. Unlike when Kate's vulnerable, I don't really feel it. And it's not even because that's a bad actress is just that that's not her forte that's not her forte so i just i wish kind of that those two characters had been swapped like that she, i feel like she would have been a better job playing this like haunted but vulnerable person versus just the mean girl maybe evangeline Lilly could have done a better job at that no she's too canadian <laughs> that's a, that's a good point i can't i can't take it anything against that i do you want to draw specific attention to the scene between Walt and Shannon when he gives her Vincent? Uh, I don't know if that was too heavy-handed for you, but... No, I liked it. It was a very sweet moment, and it shows, again, Walt just having just this strange wisdom beyond his years. So now let's get back into Saeed, that beautiful angel. He uh, does nothing wrong, ever. He is perfect. So I feel like Saeed... There's, like, a cross shape of characters we have here. Oh, God, are you going to do the Lindelof thing to yourself? <laughs> to myself. Uh, uh, so there's, like, four characters that are kind of, like, working in tandem with each other, especially, like, we see it a bit in this episode, uh, especially towards the beginning, uh, as it resolves around the hatch. We have the uh, Saeed, we have Hurley, and we have Jack, and we have Locke, and I feel like each of them are kind of playing the devil and angel on each other's shoulders in some way. And so I kind of want to, like, as we talk about each character, like, who's the devil and angel on their shoulders? So, like, Saeed, like, the person who would most agree with him in his fact, it would probably be Hurley, but not until later when he sees the numbers on there. It's just like, we shouldn't open this. We don't know what's in there. And then I guess Locke would be the person who's just like, no. We are opening this no matter what. And Jack's on in that same camp. They they are coming to the exact same conclusion from very different perspectives. Because Jack's like, we have to get it open and we have to get in there so we can survive. Locke says, we have to get it open. We have to get it in there because that is where our salvation is. And Jack is very mad that Locke agrees with him, but for different reasons. Yeah. And there was the initial point where, like, Jack wasn't sure what to do. And, like, even when they were, like, with the dynamite, there was a point where Jack was like, maybe we shouldn't move forward with this. And it's not, I don't think it was, let's not move forward with opening the hatch. It was like, I'm not that dedicated to getting this hatch open. It's not my religious quest or whatever, like it is yours. So you think that they're setting these two characters, each one's, on opposite dichotomies. I don't think it's 100% always there, but I think there's, like, some interplay there that could be interesting to think about. Because Locke mentions it in one of their many, uh, like, fraught-with-meaning disputes, where he says, Jack, I think I get it. You're a man of science. And Locke describes himself as a man of faith. They are just butting heads on that concept constantly, that Jack has to know what's going on has to be completely in charge has to make sure that everything is working and Locke just wants to trust the island 
to mm-hmm. bring him the answers and to uh, lead him in the right direction. And if you want to look at that kind of sideways, Hugo is very much a person of superstition. He believes that he is bad luck and that like things are kind of happening to him and that he is out of control. Whereas Said is a person of like, what is the reality before us? Yeah. Yeah. He's a contradiction. He's both faith and skepticism. Like he tells Charlie, like, I don't have time to be pissed off. I don't have, we don't have time to be hotheaded and upset. We have to get the baby back. We have to just run. Right after Turniped is taken, Charlie punches him in the face, goes to it again, and Saeed just grabs him by the throat. Is like, he doesn't move much. He's just very still. He's like, don't do that again. The audience wanted that because I think everyone in the audience is like, fuck, Charlie, cool it, dude. And uh, it takes someone like Saeed who can just like be angry, but also just like have control. This plot suffers the most of the three because it's so segmented from episode to episode. The first episode is trying to rush to get everyone together. The second episode is just still table setting. And then the third episode is when they introduce Rousseau took the baby. We have to go catch her. We found her. That's very uh, rushed at the end. I think the issue for me falls with the threat of the others is only told, it is not shown. So until we see them and we know, oh, they were never after the rest of them, they were just after Walt, they blow up this bunker, they're chasing around Rousseau, who also thinks that they're, they're going to be there. All of that happens, but we never see any real threat to them other than the threat to the people on the raft. With that said, we're going to take a break, and we will be right back. Bye! And we're back. Woo! What's up? We're talking about Lost, the finale, the season finale. Let's just jump ahead to the series finale. Yeah, let's just let's just pop on there. So Jesus and the Devil are out in the wilderness. One is Michael Sheen. <laughs> uh, so I believe we are now at probably the much the more significant of the three plots, the Black Rock Dynamite Hatch plot. Yeah. So we have Arst who. Arst. Oh, I mean, I'm sorry. It's Arst. It's Arst. Arst. Uh, No, it's Arst. Arst? No, it's Arst. Arst. Yeah, they bring him in as a red shirt that they had established in a previous episode, which is a good tactic. I liked liked him in his, like, first showing of, like, hey, you're being dumb. And then he comes in saying, hey, you're being dumb with the dynamite. And then, God, that was so stupid that he immediately died. It was supposed to be, like, he died, you were annoyed with him, and then he died. But, like, again, I established... The stakes for that were really stupid. If they had finished the, st- if it had been like only one episode of Dynamite Story, and they would have just gone from like them doing that to them transporting the dynamite and getting to like the plot, it would have been a lot better because you could just play it for the comedic effect, which is what they were going for. But they just didn't know how to write this arc for three episodes worth and make it interesting because they didn't want them to do anything else because they the end result was the thing that they wanted, which was them standing over the hatch blown open and if they had gotten to that too soon they would have had to show their hand and they were willing to do that it's what happens when you write your conclusion uh before uh, anything else is that you it can be very very dead just trying to like fill in the space to get there it's almost like this would have been better as just two episodes but so okay he has this speech where he's talking to hurley and he's directly 
stating a lot of the things that I'm sure the audience has said. Like, oh, there are other people here. <laughs> yeah, the the clicks, and it's just, uh, I don't know. I, I found that a little heavy-handed, but the, the actor did a pretty good job selling it and being insufferable. And Jorge Garcia did a great job of just, like, he's he's such a nice guy. He's trying to, like, listen and be receptive, but he's just hates this guy so much and he tries to turn it down it's just like what are you talking about like that i think it's just all in your head dude and it's like no i mean they're they're definitely clicks i can't tell if uh hurley's saying that because he's oblivious to it which would make sense Hurley probably doesn't seem to care about that kind of thing when you're on the inside of that uh it's kind of hard to see that you are on the inside i understand that when you're on the inside of the popular group and uh Gotta be told from the outside, you're too popular. You need to come back down from the clouds. Be among your friends again. I remember when you told me that, BT. (laughs) All three of us know that. (laughs) We're all in a click of one. Yeah, uh, we're all incredibly popular and always have been. Also, he asks Hurley, how have you not lost weight? Which I'm sure definitely there are parts of the audience that are like, why is he still that big? Not even the first, like gross fat thing he says because uh when he demands to come along doesn't ask demands he says uh jack's confused about how he knows the plan and our uh justification is if you want to keep a secret don't tell the fat guy which is just like that was gross but i do like the idea that everyone is telling hurley their secrets and that hurley is telling everyone because he is a gossipy bitch because he's the most relatable character (laughs) You know what I do when I get a secret from someone? I go to someone else and tell them that secret. Oh, man, did you guys hear? <laughs> so do not tell Kathy or Adam your secrets. Please. It's true. Really yeah, don't. No, yeah, we're, te- we're begging you. Don't tell us. Let us just listen in. <laughs> I, uh, I will say the one thing about arse blowing up that works for me is just the rain of arse that comes down after he blows up. And then the later... I think you've got some arse on you. <laughs> I like that when Hurley is says that. It's right after Jack's like, oh, do you want in? Do you want to risk your life carrying some dynamite? He doesn't answer because the answer is so obviously no. He's just a... Uh, you three are all the ones with the god complexes and death wishes. It's not me. <laughs> I'm the one that's going to point out later why the fuck are we carrying torches around? <laughs> And he does believe, Hurley does believe that Ars blowing up is his fault because yeah. of the, he is bad luck. And so he, part of uh, his feelings at that point is the guilt of letting that happen by being there in the first place. I think Hurley's backstory is the most delicately handled in this, in the finale. Uh, whereas everyone else, like Sawyer's backstory and everyone else, you have to like hammer it in and they have to tell you specifically what their deal is. I think Hurley's they did the best where he's not just like, I won the lottery with these numbers and now I'm cursed. Yeah, like uh, when Sawyer reads it in the bottle and he's like, what? (laughs) Who the hell is Hugo? (laughs) I also do like when Hurley hands Charlie his bottle message. And as soon as he's saying, don't read that, Charlie is opening it up. (laughs) It's a nice character moment for those two. I think part of the reason Charlie may not have worked as well this episode is because that was his only interaction with Hurley. He's generally better when he's working with Hurley. Yeah, they, those two really do have a fun energy together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Charlie had to go along for this baby thing, and if they had brought Hurley along for that, it just wouldn't have worked at all. Yeah. What would Hurley do there? Dude, can we have that baby back? <laughs> <laughs> 
But Russo likes him. That's another part of it, I guess. Oh, yeah, that's true. He does like him. It would have, he would have been able to resolve it a lot more delicately. But he had to be at the hatch so we could see the numbers so he could uh, warn them one last time not to open it for a different reason than what uh, Saeed said. He also had to get the other characters to open up about their uh, various issues like Kate and Locke. I will say Hurley's flashback in the episodes were uh, probably my favorite. That's a breath of fresh air. Yeah, his vignette of uh, everything going wrong getting to the airport. Or there's another great uh, fatphobic moment where she makes him buy two seats. It's only good because he gets this amazingly petulant, like, really? The fuck? And uh, he plays that so well. Like, when they cut back to his face and he's just perfect. Yeah, all of that stuff slides right off of him. They, they, so they, they lean into it a little bit, I think, too much. Mm-hmm. But uh, they do a great job of having him be sort of unaffected by it. Because I guess he's just been big his whole life and that uh, that stuff doesn't affect him as much anymore of course it does affect you you know like there's no way that it doesn't but he doesn't show that it affects him because i guess that would be boring tv someone talking about their feelings he also again as the audience surrogate invites the audience to think about all the other times that the numbers appear how many times they flashed in his flashback Mm-hmm. You yeah, saw the, uh, like, the soccer, soccer team. team or something where they just, all of the jerseys in a row with the numbers. 823 for flight 815. Uh, Kate's ransom was 23,000. I really wanted, uh, when he was just like, oh, what does 23 mean to you? And she says that. I wanted him to be like, you know, 23 and 23,000 aren't the same number, right? <laughs> that would have been so much fun if he had yeah. said that. The only thing that the mystery did well is that Hurley's warning at the last second. Because, like, that clearly tells the audience this is not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Hurley immediately understands that because we saw the numbers at the bottom of the thing and I didn't, like, precisely understand how I should feel about it. Hurley knows. And before when I was talking about, like, my whole theory about the light and dark and that Hurley represents the light, he explicitly says, hey, I know you should not blow this up. And it gets blown up anyway. Specifically by Locke. Locke Locke sees him, hears him, specifically looks down, lights it. And he even tries to stop it, which, oh, that was cool. Yeah, they're trying to stamp it out, and Jack had to be like, you can't fucking run towards dynamite. (laughs) (laughs) But he's so spry. Yeah. It's true. He's able to bounce right back. Luckily established in the text. (laughs) Canonically spry. (laughs) Canonically spry. I think we need to, uh, since we're on this, discuss the elephant in the room. Jack fucking taking the dynamite. Expected yet infuriating. Just so boring. It's it's boring because we it's the same type of shit he's been doing every time he interacts with Kate. It's he doesn't want Kate in danger. Kate puts herself there anyways, and he finds some way to undermine her being there because he doesn't trust that she either he doesn't trust her or he doesn't want to put her in danger or whatever. And so it's it, it, this these beats have played out so many times at this point that when it happens this time, it's like. You may not know exactly that he has taken the um, dynamite, but you get an idea that's just like, he's not going to just let this fly. He's going to do something to undermine this. And it's so frustrating because at the beginning of the first episode, Kate comes to him and says, I want to come on this mission, tries to like make a joke about how it's for old time's sakes. And he sees right through it, seeing that she doesn't want to be there to say goodbye to Sawyer. And he's just, he has a really nice moment where he's like, 
fine, all right, come with us. And it's one of the only Jack and Kate moments in the entire season that works for me. And then he just immediately undermines it to the point where after they've drawn the straws, he's putting the pack on her and she apologizes to him for fate or a fucking short straw. Ugh. And we got a lot to talk about with fate and destiny. Don't let me forget that. But <laughs> the thing that bugged me about the, mo- the most about the whole thing was he has this whole conversation with her where they just totally ignore that he did that. So she's just like, yeah, I'm still in your corner. So if, if they're going to do that whole thing, now it has no purpose at all. It doesn't drive the plot forward. It doesn't do anything. It's just there to either annoy you or to take up more screen time. It's she could have ju- they could have she could have said there, no, this is the last time I can handle myself. You can't treat me like this. And then they could have a reconciliation in the next season where oh, I your dynamic makes a lot more sense. But they're just going to keep the same fucking dynamic, and that pisses me off. Why does she trust him? What when he tells her, you know, if we survive this, we're going to have a lock problem. What what drives her to be like, oh yeah, I'm on your side? Nothing. Diplomacy, I think, is the only thing. Like, I think there's the there are opportunities for her because this, she's clearly someone who's trying to play sides to get what she wants. But they did that so much with Sawyer that like. They don't really give her a whole lot of room to be that sort of like manipulative thing. Like they did it in her one episode when like we find out her secret. But then she really backs off from that after that point. And it's like she should she should do a lot more of that. And she should be playing. She should have been like talking with Locke. She should be playing the sides a lot more if that's the way they're going to lean into it. And I'm I feel like that would have been the only way to justify her saying, yeah, I'm on your side at the end is if she's just playing cards because her and Locke haven't had like a significant amount of time together but i have to imagine that he's been way nicer to her than jack ever has been and and Locke, like we as the audience know something ain't right with fucking Locke. but she doesn't exactly understand the only person that might is jack and saeed and you can maybe she talked to saeed saeed made her understand hey listen this guy Something ain't right with him. He's lying about something. I think she just distrusts Locke 100% because Jack does. She, Her entire motivations just co- seem to come from, what does Jack think? And it's so frustrating. I think it's a little more basic. I think it's uh, sexist writing rooms, just like, woman motivated by sexual urges, uh, and her sexual urges are towards Sawyer and Jack, so those are going to be the people that she interacts with the most. Yeah, look, she doesn't have a baby. What the fuck else is she there for? She goes and grabs the dynamite, and we're going to talk about the smoke monster here in a second, Mm -hmm. but she goes and grabs the dynamite from Jack's pack and and throws it down, uh, and that's about the maximum of what she does. She also says to Jack, hey, I I, want to be included in this. I'm willing to sacrifice my life just as much as you are, which she is. And he is just regularly making executive decisions that... I either think that your life is worth too much or too little yeah, because I will make the last call. And he's wildly inconsistent about yeah. it. I like how his justification is uh, no one wants to be a leader until I make a bad decision that they don't agree with. And then everyone's just like, oh, why are you making these decisions? But don't worry. According to Jin, Jack will keep you safe. <laughs> so as the writers intended, we are at our final two characters to discuss. Jack and Locke. And I think we should discuss them together, because as BT pointed out, they kind of put them on these 
two different sides of the spectrum, and then they directly tell you what the two different sides are. He doesn't believe in fate. He believes in fate. Yeah, Locke specifically believes that Jack does believe in fate. He just doesn't know it yet, which is like, I love that line just because it's like real ballsy. Uh, Just telling Jack whose whole deal is just thinking that he knows better than everyone else, being like, oh, I actually just know better than you. And then I'm walking away. If you had to vote the island election, who's going to be our leader? The ballot is just two people. It's Locke and it's Jack. Who are you putting your vote for after these episodes? Still Jack, uh, because he hasn't actually steered them in that bad a direction. And uh, Locke was implicated directly in the death of one of the people. I like that he, uh, Locke, uh, finally admits what uh, we know he's been thinking, but it hasn't actually said to anyone. Boone was a sacrifice that the island demanded. He also says directly, the island brought us here. And... My favorite line from the whole episode was, survival is all relative, Jack. What the fuck does that mean? (laughs) I think it's the idea of, like, uh, is surviving even worth it if you don't have something to believe in? I think it's also, like, even for Locke, surviving in this wilderness and being able to uh, move around freely is a better life to him than surviving like in the safety of home uh, where he was wheelchair-bound. That's another thing that they, they keep coming back to is just how miserable he was in his life before this and how much freedom he feels that he has now. So I think it's like being here in this island, like they're surviving, but it's still this this survival is better than that one. No. I think uh, Terry O'Quinn always does an excellent job. Uh, I think he did. I was particularly impressed with the the single lock flashback we got was just him having to be carried on the plane. But he does a very good job of playing just how absolutely dejected and despondent Locke is at that point, because we that's right after he's told he can't go on the walkabout. And what is he going home to? What's what's forward for him and you can just see he's just given up he's he wants to object to being carried on to the plane and can't i mean even like he drops the insert and reaches for it and he can't get it and so he just yeah it's so different from when he can't open the hatch and when his dad left him where he's angry and upset and there's a lot of emotion there this is just nothing he has no nothing left you can see that his will to live is back because of just this island. The scene with him and Jack pulling out the dynamite was fantastic, almost entirely because Terry O'Quinn just had this like little twinkle in his eye where you can see Locke is enjoying this. He's having just straight up fun where he shouldn't be. Yeah, when I, w- I was kind of upset in a narrative possibility of when the smoke monster grabs lock which again i don't know how those arms are supposed to work if they're made of smoke how can they grab something i could see how they could kill someone about like smoking in there but if they're made of smoke how do they grab stuff yeah it's uh it's unclear if uh the smoke well, i guess in if that it's one smoke, really I guess. yeah but it, it, we don't really know because it makes very mechanical noises like mm-hmm. especially like you can tell they've been doctoring the noise because it started off more like monster noises and they've just gone more into just like machine turning like gears turning uh sounds yeah i think it's as they decided what they wanted to do with the monster Mm -hmm. 
I I did like that they gave us a look, but not a big look. They like they sort of showed that like, oh, the, this isn't even like a big part of it. This is just like one part of this thing, and it is like deep underground, and it is just you know crackening up just to grab something. But I really would have liked if if he had like fallen in there and like, oh shit, where's Locke? That's like a great act break for a new season of like, oh shit, Locke's gone, and then you could have Locke come back at the end of season at the end of episode one, being like. What's up, guys? Yeah, but then he wouldn't have been there when the hatch was open. It's like, like there's there are definitely possibilities there that uh, are just missed. I think the opportunity they do use it fairly well when they have when Jack asks or when Locke asks Jack to let him go, and Jack's just like, "No, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to let you be killed." And uh, comes back to he's like, I think Matthew Fox does a great job with just the incredulous like. Uh, we need to talk about that. What the fuck, man? I also think that would have been a great time for where he says, let me go, for him to say, have you met me? (laughs) (laughs) Have we met? Like, do you know who I am? Have you watched this season so far? (laughs) Luck? Me give up on anything ever, even for the person that I hate the most probably in the world? (laughs) Uh, soft second to his father, uh, soft third to himself. Mm-hmm. When they are uh, taking the dynamite out and Locke is uh, referring to it like a game of operation, it reminded me a lot of his flashback as the toy salesman. And I hope when he was selling people dy- uh, operation, he was relating it to taking dynamite out of a box. Yeah, and he also... Uh, the little buzz that he gets. The little buzz. <laughs> And he also said that he loves games, which is consistent with him like playing that game at his his work. Yeah, when you're pulling out dynamite, it's just like you like playing games, Locke. And he says he's not being diplomatic. He just says absolutely, <laughs> just like a sweaty glee that's horrifying. I love Terry O'Quinn. Yeah, because oh man, and they do a better job with his sweat than anyone else's sweat. Yeah, he's sweating more than that dynamite. He's got an entire head to uh, sweat on. That's probably about it for the episodes. I think I liked them. I don't know how much of that is colored by knowing the show and trusting them where they're going, but I definitely respect your opinion of not liking them, and I agree that they were way too long. I think it's they won in the third act uh, where... They took their time, they kind of messed up getting there, but they gave us some banging conclusions, you know, Walt being taken, the hatch being open, and so leaving with that excitement is enough to be like, okay, you sucked getting here, but we have some things that I would like to see resolved, or how they're going to handle it, so I want to watch the next episode to know what they're going to do with it. This was the first, these episodes were the first to be written by Lindelof and Cuse and directed by Bender. Which is, you know, you, they're the runners of the show. He's one of the main directors. It's a very potent combination that they just should have done two episodes. I liked, there was a lot of stuff in the episode I liked. There really was. But I just, I, I found myself bored. And uh, when I'm bored, like, like the thing that we were talking about with the boat. I think I would have been much more gut-wrenching by that if I weren't already so bored. Like, if I, if I had mo- more investment. In, in the show at large at that particular point. You know what they could have done that would have made this way more exciting? 
What if they had done, rather than the three storylines running out throughout each episode, each episode just dedicated to the one storyline? Like, do, like, the Charlie thing first, because it's the least interesting one. Oh, and you could do, like, the Rashomon thing, where you see other characters, like, in it. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that would have been and so cool. And then, like, cool. the second episode would have been, like, the taking of Walt, and then the third one would have been the Hatch thing. But so that way, like, each episode ends with, like, big things, and then, like... Yeah, oh, episodes. wait, wait, hold on. One more thing that I just have to mention. Did you guys notice how Jack's shirt was like on one side it was raised and on the other side it wasn't and it was just to show a stupid tattoo like there was no other reason for it that it was purposely uneven just to show you the tattoo no for some reason i just assumed when i saw the tattoos he's wearing a tank and when i saw the other arms like he's wearing he wasn't wearing a tank i think i assumed he was wearing a tank as well that's fantastic that really irritated me but yeah okay He's got to let he's got to let it breathe. The final production note is that they had wanted in the flashbacks of all of the characters to do a Vincent flashback, but the press uh it got leaked to the press and so they're just like, "Eh, it's not worth it." And this was technically Shannon's first flashback, which was bad, and hopefully they'll do a better one. And this one comes with a big spoiler. Spoiler Spoiler, Spoiler alert. alert! So, wait. So, let's do your predictions. Not, they're directly tied in. They're, they're tied in? Okay. So, so, sorry to the one person in the entire world who has not watched Lost and does not know anything about it. Me! <laughs> <laughs> I'll go ahead and say now, uh, we'll be back next time to make our own special music and sing our own special song in Season 2, Episode 1. Man of science, man of faith. Quick shout out, uh, BT, you're not allowed to edit this out. Uh, Thank you so much for doing all of the editing for the podcast. You are the real hero. Yeah, that's definitely true. Everyone say thank you to BT. Thank you, BT. Okay, so this is your final warning on the spoilers. All right, so I'm sitting with a buddy of mine who is asking me about, you know, this podcast I'm doing about Lost. And I definitely told him that my... (laughs) My thing on the show is that I haven't seen it, and that I, since it's like one of those big plot shows, that that was kind of the idea. And he was like, oh, yeah. And so we talked about it before, and then this, this is the second time we've like, oh, yeah, Lost. That's the one where everyone's in purgatory at the end, right? And the audience groans. And I was just like, are you serious? Uh, you know, I'm watching, I'm season one. <laughs> season one. Not and even all the way through at that point. Now that he said it, everything that they say comes in, uh, comes in. So she's like, are we all being punished? Okay. Like them saying, oh, that there were no survivors, even though that also doesn't make sense because how were they talking to anyone outside the island? So uh, it just kind of all had to tie in. I had to kind of think about whether or not that could be a possible ending for the story. I, and I, I have to believe that it sort of is. I mean, that that it's that maybe they all died and this is currently purgatory. And maybe that's why everybody kind of groans at the show because that's a stupid ending. I'll go ahead and say this. When in the message boards for the show, uh, during season one, people had the theory that they were all in purgatory. So this was an idea that people were throwing around uh, from season one. I don't want to tell you, oh, here's what happens in the show. But at the same time, I don't agree with him. I don't think he's right. Going on to what my actual predictions are, since they have to tie in with this now, 
is that it does seem pretty likely that that's what's going on. That uh, there's some aspect of it where the island didn't want to seem to let them get off. It seems to have a mind of its own. But I think it's more likely is that the island just pulls in people from from whoever crosses its path. And anyone that does, it just inextricably locks in. And so it also seems to decide people to take which is strange like that leads me to more of a purgatory thing but if you but you think of the island having a mind of its own and constantly fighting these battles between light and dark i think more that uh that maybe it's not purgatory i don't know but i have no idea how to feel now of that 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 information was given to me another popular fan theory uh hurley is in the mental hospital uh popular fan theory at the time was this is all in hurley's head I like that as an ending better. But uh, yeah, so I think that others group that took Walt, I think part of them are from uh, the other half of the plane, but not all of them. Some of them are have been here for a long time. And that will definitely meet uh, Letty from Fast and Furious in the first episode of the next season. We'll have to see who else she can have sexual tension with. It's everybody. <laughs> Spoilies. <laughs> so uh, I definitely think that's going to occur. I also think that the what's down in the, um, the bunker is going to seem at first like it's not as important as it actually is, but later they'll discover, oh, like this is how the island picks its victims or something. So yeah, those are my predictions. Do you have any prediction for what's in the bottom down the hatch? Uh, I think it's going to be just like a big machine and the machine controls the security system. Gotcha. All right. Well, for everyone who has watched the show and has kept listening, uh, hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening for a whole fucking season. And thanks for uh, doing this uh, podcast with me, guys. So, yeah. Uh, thank you for joining us for season one of Is This Lost and of Lost. Yeah. And we will see you next time. Bye! Bye.